You know, I'm going to pray for us. Pray, pray, pray for my eye. Yeah, pray for Sherry's eye. Father God, thank you so much again for this beautiful day, Lord God. Thank you that you are merciful, that you are loving, kind, Father God, and mercy. You every morning, Father God, we lift up to you, Sherry, my God. I pray that you would touch her eyes, Father God. You yes, are the great physician. You are the healer, Father God. Thank you, Father. Whatever is going on in her eyes, Father God, we ask you, Lord, right yes. now that in the name of Jesus, you will touch her, Father God. That you yes. will release the pressure, that you will release the pain, God, and you will yes, uh, put everything together the way that you created it to be, Father God. So we thank you, Father God. And I just want to pray, Lord Jesus, as I be meditating this week, Father God, and this passage that uh, speaks so much to me, Father God, that. Um, you have chosen the foolish thing of the world to, um, or the people that no one wants, that the people look like that you cannot do anything for them, Father God. You have chosen those people to, to bring glory and honor to your name, Father God. So right now, I just want to pray wherever Christopher is at, Father God. Yes, Lord. Would you, would you please speak to his heart? Would you please rescue him from darkness and bring him into your marvelous life, Father God? Would you please use him for your glory and for your kingdom, my God? So reveal yourself to me, my Lord Jesus. I pray that whatever he is out, Father God, that he will feel your holy presence even now, Father God. So I speak to his heart, we ask you, God, and we thank you, God, that you are faithful, that you are loving, kind, Father God, and that you are merciful every day, Father God. So, Lord, we thank you. We give you the glory and the honor, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will speak to us, Father God, that we will not be just here of the word, but we will be doers, Father God. So we thank you. We glorify your name. We magnify your name this morning, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You are my life, you are my love, you are my reason, you are my hope, you are my joy, you are my passion,
Father, we thank You, Lord Jesus, for the good news and the hope that we have in You, Lord. Father, it's in Christ and in Christ alone that we are free. The Word declares, Father, that He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And Oh, how I pray, God, that we would not take for granted what You have accomplished for us. Pray, God, that we would keep our eyes focused and fixed upon you. Father, that we would not grow weary in doing good. Father, that we would not allow our temporal circumstances to define us. But, Father, our identity, if we are believers, is in Christ, our King, the risen Savior. So, Father, we can look up, Father, and behold, Lord God, our King, Father, we know that You are returning. Father, we know that You've commissioned us to go and to declare the good news of the freedom that is found in Christ. And God, we thank You that You love the world so much that You gave Your one and only Son that whoever would believe upon Him, Father, would not, Father, face death, Father, and eternity in hell, but will be born again and face life and eternity and heaven with you. So, Father, we thank you for the hope. And we pray, O oh God, that as we hear the reading of your word today, God, that we would be drawn ever so closely to Jesus. Father, that we would remain and abide in Jesus, Lord. Father, for your word says that apart from him, we could do nothing. So, God, we thank you. And, Father, I'm reminding I'm reminded of the scripture from last week where it said that Jesus opened their minds and that they were able to understand. And so, Father, I pray for us today and for those that would hear this on the podcast at a later time, Lord, that our minds would be open. God, to hear and not only hear, but have the wisdom and the understanding to apply it, Father, that we may continue to grow and allow our roots to go down deep into Christ. And that, Father, you would continue to conform us and to his image and transform us by renewing our minds. And so, Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Community, definitions I've been sharing with us. That's the word for us for this year. So the first one is a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. The second one, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And as we've been discussing the past couple of weeks, we understand that as a Christian community, that Jesus is our interest. He is our center. It's all about Him. And yes, there's many communities in the earth today. But as I've been encouraging us, it's the Christian community is the only community that has truth. And the hope to offer those in this dying world. We're not a part of the Christian community for ourselves. We're not living for ourselves. We're not building a community on ourselves. No, the building of the community is done by Christ. Because He says He will build His church. And Christ is the head. We are the body. And so we need to continually remember the privilege that we have to be a part of this community. 
But one thing I'm challenged by and one thing I've been sharing with you all is the fact that the communities that are out there, apart from Christ, they seem to be more passionate about their communities than the church. And that's where we need to awaken in this year that we're in. When we see all the chaos that's going on, when we see the direction that the institutional church is taking, when we see how the enemy has come in like a flood and begin to redefine church in our generation. And so we have to awaken as the Christian community and this generation to be able to be the standard of righteousness as the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to stand up for truth. The Bible tells us as the enemy comes in like a flood that the Lord will raise up a standard. And the standard is righteousness. Right standing with God. Not in and of our own power, but through the Holy Spirit as we are a work in progress. We ought to be maturing. But we ought to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our body. And with all of our strength. And we ought to be able to stand and declare boldly the truth of God. And to share the good news of Jesus with others. His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection. The hope that is found in Jesus. And we already understand that the world hates the message of Jesus. If you uphold the simple truth of Jesus, you are going to be hated. Jesus says that. And yet in the temporal mindset, the earthly mindset, the created mindset, the created is at war with its creator. And so we just have to realize that. And so as Christians, we recognize that we've been born again. We're not living out of the temporal mind. We're not craving the temporal things, the created things. It makes no sense when your eyes are open. But when you're blinded, it makes perfect sense. See, when you're blinded, you're looking for the created. You're created. You're looking for the created to fulfill you. There's that longing. There's that need. There's that drive to connect and, and, and to be whole. And we're looking for created things to do that. And we're so blinded that we don't even realize that we're being deceived. The Bible says it's the enemy that blinds the eyes. We are, at, we are in a spiritual war. We are behind enemy lines. And if you're a Christian, you have to be engaging. Now more than ever. Because I keep encouraging us, the way church has been done over the years, it can't continue the way it's going. Because it's not producing anything. It's not producing. I've, I've said over the past month, the church in and of itself has produced more apostates than disciples. We've been too concerned about our buildings, about our programs, about everything, and we've lost the fact that we have been called to disciple people so that people can understand what it means to obey all that He has commanded us. All that He has commanded us. And so it's vital that we recognize as those who have been born again of the Spirit, we're no longer living out of the carnal mind, the, the temporal desires, that we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We, we have been filled with the Holy Spirit 
Spirit, God in us, and we have been commissioned to go forth into a world that is at war with its Creator. To give them the good news that their Creator came to redeem them, to save them, to restore them, to make them what they're searching for, whole. They will be at peace with God through Christ Jesus their Lord. This is the Christian community. This is what we're called to do. This is what the Lord is building throughout the earth. No matter how the enemy comes and attacks the bride of Christ, the church, she will stand. And she will stand therefore then and see God victorious. So this is the hope that we have. And oh how I pray that we will be praying for the community. That we will be praying for the church throughout the earth. That we will be praying for true freedom fellowship. That we will be asking the Lord to add to our numbers to those that are being saved. Not those who just want to play church. Those that just want to tip their toe in. But people that really want to get involved and say, God, we want to see you show up and show out in our generation and on our time. To truly seek His face and to know Him. So I've got some scriptures. Scriptures I've shared and scriptures that we will continue to hear throughout this year. But scriptures that I hope that you are taking back. That you are praying through. That you are meditating upon. And saying, Lord, how can I live this out? So go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. The believers form a community. And that's why it's so important. I'm so happy that we actually transition into the book of Acts, opening up this year, and learning what the church looked like when she was birthed. To encourage us to continue on what God has purposed for the community of believers. You see, we are to look different than the world. It's always been that way. As we're studying the Old Testament, as, as, Testament, as we see that God has pulled out Israel, and He says, you are mine. You're my special possession. Don't look at the other nations. Don't look at them. Don't desire what they have. Because you have all that you need in me. But just as the created has been since the fall, they're at war with the Creator. And so Israel, yet though they were pulled out, they were set apart for God's purpose, the Messiah, Jesus, to come and to redeem the created. They didn't look to their God constantly. There were seasons that they did and they prospered and then there were seasons when they didn't and they were punished. But what kept luring them out from the presence of God was the worship of idols. It wasn't even so much what the other nations were able to get away with, but it was idol worship. It wasn't the fact that the nations were able to give themselves over to this or to that or to this or to that. They were drawn to the way they worshipped. 
And I want you to think about that as we're going through our morning, as we're listening to these Scriptures. They were influenced by the way the other nations worshipped. And so they took what the other nations were worshipping and they say it's okay to add it on to our worship to the Most High, High God. And they begin to trade the image of God for an image of an idol. And they began to worship it. But you can't worship Satan and God. There's, you can't. You can't have just one foot in and one foot out. No, God has never allowed that. He never will. Rather, it was in the Old Testament and surely not in the New Testament. Remember, God's purpose and plan to have a people that He will call His own and in return, they will call Him their God. They will live for Him. They will love Him with all of their being. Not that they're perfect, but there's a desire within them that He has birthed. That He has begun. That He is faithful to complete. See, when you know your God, you know you can stand in the assurance of not your good works, but the works that Christ did on the cross. Jesus was resurrected. He, told, he tells His disciples to stay put until they received the Holy Spirit. And once they were filled with the Spirit of God, everything that defined them when they walked with Jesus no longer defined them. They were now different men. They were now different women because they received the Holy Spirit. They are now empowered by God Himself to live out as God Himself designed and planned from the beginning. Remember, God has prepared good works for you to do. The Bible says that He's prepared good works for you to do and He prepared those works long before you came upon this earth. You see, you are not an accident. I keep encouraging us, you have a purpose. You, you, God has purposed you for such darkness to live in it and be the light. You were purposed. And why do you think the enemy has done all that he can to hinder that purpose? To throw everything and anything at you. But see, when you know that you know that you know, let him come in as mighty as he wants to display himself because you can stand with the assurance that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And you may harm my body, you may do whatever you want in my circumstances, but you can't have my essence of my being, which is my soul, because I am a child of God. And so when you're able to stand in confidence and the assurance of who Christ is, and this is what the believers, the community, the family of Christ, the church of Christ has in common, and this is what we build off. This is why we gather. This is why we serve. This is why we do what we do. And that's why the world can look at us and go, there's something different about you. Yet though they're waging war with God, waging war with the church, they can say whatever they want about us, but all along when they see that we are not moved by them, 
but we are in step with our God, they see that there is something different. And that will either draw them to Christ, or they will remain at war against Him. It's not our job to change people's minds. We have just been called to live for Christ, to love Christ. And so listen to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. The believers form a community. It says all the believers, it didn't say some, it said all. Think about that. And oh, how we ought to return to that. Because there's a lot of people sitting among the community that and others do it and just existing among them and hoping that they will reach, the blessings will flow to them. But the Bible says all the believers, and what about all the believers? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles, which had all to do about Christ and His power and His resurrection, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1 through 6. The unity in the body. Therefore, I, a prisoner, this is Paul writing, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. This is Paul. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. He is begging them that they would lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Not by man, but by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit just as you have been called to one glorious hope and future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. God you all. The center of community, of the believers that keeps them united, not torn apart, 
but united. An agreement with the understanding of who God is, of the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords, and the hope of the message of the gospel to take to a dying world. This is what they're in agreement with. No matter what will happen to them, they have laid their lives down. Because they understand, as the Word declares, that no greater love than this will ever be displayed than for a man to lay down his life for his friend. And Jesus was our example. He laid it down for us, and that's what He calls us to. He doesn't force us to love Him. No. He's very clear. Consider the cost, because it's going to cost you everything. He's very clear you're going to be hated. You're not going to be accepted. Because if you truly understand me, you understand that this world is not my home, and if it's not my home, it's not your home. You're just passing through. But while you're here, you have a purpose. And the purpose is defined by me. Because now you are in me. And I am in you. And I have called you. I have set you apart. And now I'm sending you. So remain alert. Because your enemy is prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. But I'm returning for you. Like, I'm going away and I'm preparing a place. And because I need to go away, the Father is going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to live out this life. Because your life now is dependent upon Him. See, I was thinking and reflecting the other day. The Bible tells us that Jesus is sitting on the throne interceding and praying for us until that day that no man knows, only the Father knows, when He will rise up from that throne and return. But until then, He's seated on the throne and the place of victory. And I love the fact that the Bible tells us that that is our place because of Christ. See, that is your identity now. And I don't know how many of you get up each day and go throughout your day and think upon that. The Bible says that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That your identity now is the fullness of Christ, the resurrected Christ. And because He's resurrected, you can live out that power that is within you. That power, that resurrected power power is in you. And so believers, we have to begin to allow that power to be displayed in our lives. Because we are marked by Christ. Jesus says, I have to go away. I have to go away. So that He will come. And He that came is the Holy Spirit. And we are called not to live lives that grieve the Holy Spirit, but lives that would honor Him as we are led by Him, for Him, and through Him. That's what unites us as believers. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans 
Romans 12. Verses 1 through 21. A living sacrifice to God. It says here, And so, dear brothers and sisters, again, we're talking about community, Christian community. How are we to be living? How are we to be doing life together? This is Christian community. It's just not about a church attendance, just slapping um, a Christian identity on your life. Like, okay, I'm a Christian now. No, the fact, the true understanding that you have been engrafted into the family of God. And so, from that understanding, we hear and we read, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Now listen to that. We all belong to each other. As we're living out this understanding that we are called to be a living sacrifice to God. Again, he says here, this is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Again, because it's the created world that is against the living God. But let God transform you into a new person. You see, the old should not be claiming you. And you ought not to be claiming the old. You can talk about the past as you point to Jesus. Because it's the testimony of Christ that has redeemed you and freed you from the past. You can't go around preaching a resurrected Christ and keep living out in the old man and the old woman because you look foolish. It doesn't make any sense. Because all that you're doing is stripping Christ of His power and making Him common. But that is not how a Christian is supposed to live. So we don't continue to do as we did. And we don't continue to, to go after the things that we thought would complete us. And there's nothing to boast in about the old. Because all of that was all temporal. All of that was created stuff that is at war 
with its creator. And so when you realize that you have been born again and you are to be a new person, and as I've always challenged you, now how then shall you live? That's what you should be asking the Lord every day. In and of myself, I know how I would live, but I'm in Christ now, so now how then shall I live? And so we read here, as Paul is writing to the church in Rome, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. No longer on the created, but on the creator. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. What is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. And oh, how the church needs to hear that today. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Again, we're opening up talking about community and how important community is. Not a religious, religion-following community, but a Christ-following community. Then he goes on here. In His grace. In whose grace? His grace. And remember what grace is? Grace is the power to transform. Not the license for you to continue to sin. I don't know how many of you listen to yourselves or talk to other Christians, but we boast more about our sin than we do our Christ. doesn't mean that you're not going to sin, but when you sin, you should feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit God in you saying, no, that doesn't belong in here. You are the temple of God. That doesn't even take up residence in here. So you feel that conviction to go, oh, that's of the created. That's of the old. That's not who I am any longer. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. That's not how I should be speaking. That's not how I should be thinking. God, that's not what I should be pouring myself into or pouring it on me. No, God, because I, that doesn't even fit right any longer. And so we recognize that. And so we understand that grace is the power to transform. It's not the license to keep sinning and keep doing what you want to do. No, no, no. And so it's by His grace. It's by His transforming power. God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God is giving you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If if God is giving you leadership ability, take your responsibility serious. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. You see, that's how the world is. That's how the created is. Because in our created selves, we know how to manipulate. We know how to play. We know how to move. We know how to make people do things for us or get them yoked up with us. But as the Christian community, 
We're not living like we did in the world. So we don't pretend to love others. No, we really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way. Listen. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will reap burning coals of shame on their heads. And finally, listen to this. Don't let evil conquer you. Listen to that. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Listen to that. Listen to that. How are we going to overcome this evil world? By doing good. By doing what is right. Not by going along with them. Not by dumbing down his message. Not by just remaining quiet. But by being that standard of righteousness in an ungodly, unrighteous world. As I post today about this young woman who has been thrown into prison in Iran. And God knows she's in one of the hardest prisons there. All for what? Because she talks about Jesus. As I shared last week, if you ever read the, the script, the manuscripts from a lot of these hearings that take place in other countries, there is no accusation of these Christians being immoral, being lazy, not contributing to society. The only accusation is Jesus. They talk about Jesus. And the government is threatened of Jesus by Jesus. Because again, the systems of this world are at war against Jesus. And you just want to get up every day, claim His name, and just keep living out of temporal life? That doesn't work. It's not even going to satisfy you. And ultimately, when you stand before Him, you're going to hear, depart from me, I don't know you. This pastor posted this post today, and he says, it's, you will only find in America, throughout the earth, you will only find in America, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who will claim, oh, I'm a Christian, and yet have no prayer life, and yet don't even know the basic tenets of the Christian faith. 
and yet will never evangelize or share the gospel. And somehow they believe, because they said a little prayer, that when they enter into glory, they're going to hear, well done. He says, the enemy has done his job in stripping the American church of her power because he's got them deceived, thinking, I'm okay. I'm okay because I've done this. I said a prayer. I went to church. I, I gave here. I did this. I did that. But all along, they don't even know Jesus. They haven't even been transformed. They haven't even accepted the fullness of who He is and what He came to accomplish. And you would think that the nation that has sent out more missionaries in our lifetime would be a nation that is rooted but the enemy is a deceiver. He's a liar. And he has come in and he's affected or infected the community, making them believe that they're right in their own being instead of right with the ultimate being God. And that's why Paul is addressing the church way back there as the Holy Spirit has pinned this word through Paul and others to inspire God's people throughout the generations. And so as we read Romans 12, as it was for them, so it is for us, and so it will be until the day the Lord returns and calls us home, and then for eternity we are in His presence, living out the fullness of everything that He has purposed from the beginning. So don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Do what is right. You see, when a church in South Carolina is having this platform where it says, drag them to church, and they posted a drag queen, they have drag queens coming into the church, and her name is some Madam Douche. And she is leading the services. They're being conquered by evil. And those in the church who are standing up saying, no, wait a minute, what is this? They're being shunned and thrown out of the church. They're the ones that are looking like they're the ones full of hate. They're the ones being told to sit down, say nothing, go along with it. And so God help us that we will not be conquered by evil, but that we will conquer evil by doing good. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. So I keep telling us we can't do church the way we used to do church. <laughs> the season is upon us to truly live for Christ. The opening that we had as the church in the past generations has closed. We are now a church in, in, in a, an all-out assault war against God and the church in our generation. You are marked, if you're marked by Christ, you are an enemy. 
greater now than the church has ever been, especially here in the West. And so we just have to realize, wait a minute, there may come a time where I have to give an account to my employer, to, to my family, uh, you know, to just to society, to, to just be able to stand for truth and say, no, you can call me a hater or you want, you can label me whatever you want, but I know that I know whom I serve. And again, the world is not our enemy. Uh, the people who are lost are not our enemies. Not the enemy. Satan, the world system, and the flesh is our enemies. We, are, we should grieve for them. Not berate them, not make fun of them, not tear them down, not beat them over the head. Because we once were there. And it, we did nothing to change ourselves. But God was pleased to reveal Himself to us and we, we responded to that revelation of Christ. We've been set free, we are redeemed to go forth and to tell others, to tell the captives the freedom that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And so this is the hope that the believers, the community that we are to be part of, are to be pursuing. So chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 3 to 16. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Remember the Bible says to be as innocent as a dove and wise as serpents. There's a way in which we are called to live, to not let evil conquer us, but to, for us to conquer evil by doing good. So what does it look like to do good? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And listen to this. This is not a suggestion. He says you must, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though He was God, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took a humble position of a slave and was born of a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name... Of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard, listen to this, work hard to show the results of your salvation. He didn't say work hard for your salvation because you can't work. It's not about works. It's not about following this, this, that, or this. It's about Christ and Christ alone and what Christ accomplished. But in the understanding that you only you receive salvation through Christ, that doesn't mean you just sit around now and do nothing. No, you're called to live. And you're called to live in the fullness of Christ so that others could be drawn to Christ. 
And so he says here, so work hard. Live your life to show the results of your salvation. Oh, by how? By obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. We've heard this scripture multiple times. Who's doing the work in you? God. Who are you dependent upon? God. And that's why a Christian, you can't wallow around in shame and guilt and condemnation and beat yourself up. Oh, I, I can't be like this person. I can't be like that Christian. Oh, I wish I could be like that Christian. Or, you know, we do these weird games that we play in our own minds. And that's a trap by the enemy. And that's, tra- and that's a trap by your flesh to keep you enslaved. And you just need to get over yourself. And you just need to humble yourself before God. Go before Him. He knows your faults. He knows what's going on. And say, God, I'm laying it bare before you. Because I know if I come and I humble myself before you, God, that you would transform me by renewing my mind. So, Father, give me new thoughts. (laughs) Allow me to see how you've gifted me and called me. Not for myself, for me to be promoted, but for me to humble myself and to serve others. Lord, I want that deep reverence, God. I want that deep fear. God, I know that you are working this in me because you've given me desire the desire to do what pleases you. And then listen to this. This will do us some good to hear. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Well, you don't know. And we have all these excuses why we keep acting the way we're called not to act. It wouldn't be here if it wasn't possible. I mean, you have to understand that. It's not here for us to look at and say, uh, no, no, you don't know how my day was, God. You don't know what they did to me. No, hey, no, but God does. And the whole point is, be different. Because that's what, that's what the created is waiting for you, to act like them. Wow. And so you're not to act like them, because when they see that they can't provoke you, when they see that your old nature is not going to flare up and to act ugly and to do how you used to do, they're going to take a step back and say, what's up with you? What's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing this and that and this any longer? And that opens the door for you to share because of Christ. Because I'm not wasting my energy any longer on negative thinking that leads to nothing but destructive behavior. And so I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to complain. Because what good would it be? Because the more that you complain about a situation, the more that you're speaking it, the more that you're allowing curses to come from your mouth against the blessings of what God is trying to do in your life. And so that He's telling us, So do everything without complaining and arguing and look at the benefit so that no one can criticize you. Because as soon as you open your mouth and you're arguing and you're complaining and then you want to turn to them and tell them about Jesus. No! Keep your Jesus because there's no Jesus in you. Because what are they seeing? 
And so if you're arguing, if you're complaining, if you stumble and fall, get up, repent, and go back to the people, apologize, ask forgiveness, be restored to Christ, so that your lives are being lived clean. He says, live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Think about that. Again, this is written to the church. It's written to the church to remind her to be the community of believers who belong to God. Not just people who just show up, checked in, I did my religious thing on Sunday, I did my religious thing on this day, I did this and I did that. There's a lot of people doing a lot of things, but yet they truly are not marked by Christ. Because there hasn't been a transformation within their lives. And that's why within the community of believers, we, there's a standard that is raised. Not just for one, not just for two, but for all who would say they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. And as I've shared with you, if you have that faith, you have that belief in confession, the Bible says that you're saved. But they just can't be just words. A genuine faith, a genuine belief, and a confession transforms you. When you say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead, do you understand what you're saying and what you're declaring? Because it'll change your life. In fact, the Bible, as we read, says it changes you into a new person. Because he's resurrected. He's still not on the, on the tomb. He's still not on the cross. And he's still not in the manger. He's resurrected. And because of that, the power of sin and death has been destroyed. The created that was at once war with their God can now be restored back to him. And the process of sanctification you know, this ongoing work until we are with Him is now taking place. And so we're not demanding our rights anymore. No, we are willingly laying it all down. Because you recognize how I lived. I was at war against you. I was at war. Like when I think of how I used to live, and I, this is going to be 25 years coming up in July. But when I think about all those years, 28 years before, and I think of who I was and what I did and the darkness that I was so entangled with, and just at war against His throne, and yet in that chaotic mindset and life, God loved me. And He loved you. And He loves you. And so when you recognize that, wow, like, you could have just spoke, and I could have just exploded. I mean, I could just be, I could be in hell for eternity. And I would, and I would, it, he would be just, because that's what I would have, should have deserved, because I was totally living a life against him. 
But because of His great love, because of His great love, the Bible says He first loved us. And so He reveals Himself. He whispers in the stillness of nights or chaotic moments. He says, you're my beloved. You belong to me. Like He reveals Jesus to us so that we would respond. And again, I keep telling y'all, know your God. Know your God so that you can live for Him. So that people can recognize there is a change. Like, not everyone's a Christian, you all. And we better wake up to that. And I keep encouraging us over the years. You, you just can't keep looking at co-workers, family members, people that sit in churches, and just because they say that they're a Christian, I know we want everyone to go to heaven. But the reality is, unless they are born again, they're not. And so we, we, we've been deceived and lied to. And we went, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian. Everyone's a Christian. You won't find that here. Not because man is saying it, not because God is bad. No, but God is good. And that's why the church is on this earth, empowered by God to go forth and declare the good news of Jesus. Of Jesus. You see, it's a spiritual war. And we're not fighting against flesh and blood but against the rulers and the principalities and the air and the darkness that are blinding the hearts and the minds of those who are still lost. And just because they say, I'm a Christian, and yet if they have no fruit in their life, like you should care enough about that. That's why you've heard me say it numerous of times. You should care more about people's eternity in their temporalness. Well, I don't want to offend. I'll just keep praying for them. You know, sometimes you need to open up your mouth. Sometimes you just need to speak truth. Sometimes you just need to raise that standard up so what they get uncomfortable. So what they get angry. Love them enough to say no. You can have all the knowledge you want. You can spill all the knowledge about your Bible knowledge all you want. But let me tell you something. You are showing no fruit in your life of a genuine salvation of a genuine salvation, of one who has been transformed. There's a lot of people who know Scripture. The Bible says even the demons know it. And they tremble at it. They tremble at it. And so again, community. It's the word for this year. It is vital that we are living out community. The Christian community and faith so that others can be impacted with truth. The Heidelberg Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism is a tool that I've been using this year again to help us grow. We never stop growing. You, you, you should be in, in constant maturing. You should be constantly in the Word and worship and prayer 
I mean, the Bible tells us, maybe we'll look at this next week, is that we've got to stop laying the elementary foundations of our faith over and over and over and over. And when Paul tells the church, some of you are basically stuck. You're still at the elementary foundations. And no, you ought to be teachers by now. You ought to be laying on the on hands. You ought to be doing greater things. But you're stuck because you're ignorant. Because you show no sincere devotion. Remember we opened up in the book of Acts. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to meet, to fellowship. They didn't lack fellowship. They didn't lack in, in being devoted to teaching, to prayer, to breaking bread together. Like they knew how they lived. They knew that they were different. They knew what they've been given by God. And so it's an honor to be in community and in fellowship. And so here's a tool that you can use to know your God. Because again, the more you know Him, the more you can understand Him, though you'll never come to the full knowledge of Him, but the more that you can just recognize who He is, the greater and deeper your love will be for Him. He's not a God that forces you. See, the world has the wrong image of God because the world is being lied to. But again, once your eyes have been opened, you can't help but humble yourself and say, wow, you love me? God, I'm yours. And all my craziness and everything, God, I'm yours. God, forgive me. And so this tool is to use, is to be used to, to know your God. To be able to, to defend the faith in which you say you believe. To be able to go back through Scriptures and read through Scriptures. And later on, as we get further and further into the Catechism, there's going to be a few things that are minor that we may not agree with, but it doesn't go against the, the character of who God is. It just may be one of the ordinances or so that the church is supposed to be doing. And again, there's, there's, there's some ordinances, there's some things that are secondary that we may not be in agreement with other Christians. doesn't mean we don't love them. doesn't mean that they're not Christians. We just have different understandings of it. But the core, the core of the Christian faith, oh, we have to be in agreement on. We have to be in agreement on. You know? And even in our disagreements, we remain unified. We don't put each other down. We don't say, well, that I believe and my belief is greater than yours, and oh, you're kind of a lower Christian. No, 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 no. we don't do that. There's not to be divided. But in the essence of who God is, there is agreement. There is agreement. And so we're still on the Lord's Day. I mean, we're still in part two deliverance, but now we move now we're moving on from God the Father to God the Son. So it's Lord's Day eleven. Two questions that we're going to hear. And oh, how I pray you take the notes when they're sent out. Oh, how I pray that you'll come together with us on Wednesday nights to go deeper. Oh, how I pray that you would meditate on your own and study through these Scriptures so that you can be able to defend the faith as we're called to. So here's the question. Why is the Son of God called Jesus? Meaning Savior. Here's the answer. Because He saves us from our sins. And because salvation should not be sought and cannot be found in anyone else. Bottom line, 
There's no other way to God. The world can promote that there is. The world can say, okay, you can have your Jesus, but I have my Buddha. And we can still just, you know, mingle together and worship together and do this together. And we really can't. Now, does it mean you can't be friends? No, you can be friends, but you can't combine and unite the faiths. It, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It can't work that way because that's not how God designed it. There's only one way, and Jesus himself says, I am the only way. I am the only way to God. The Bible says, now therefore you're at peace with God through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Not through all these other religions. There's only one way. Second question. Do those who look for their salvation in saints, in themselves, or elsewhere, really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? Now listen to this question. And as I said, I want you, in the beginning, I made a statement And I said, I want you to hear what you're hearing all through our time together today to see the backing of that statement with truth. The statement I said earlier was, when God set Israel aside, apart for Himself, He told them, don't be influenced by these other nations and what they do. You belong to Me. And again, if you study, and as we're studying through the Old Testament... What captivated Israel was how they worshipped. I mean, we better recognize that. If you don't believe me, go study. They weren't captivated by anything else. They were captivated by how they worshipped. Because their worship was loose. See, in their temporal cardinal mind, they thought they have a level of freedom in their worship that we don't. God seems to be this God who's trying to control us. But look at what they get away with. Look at what their gods give them. And so they begin to combine these other worship, the ways of worship with the way God told them to worship. And God was like, no, I told you from the beginning, you're not to have any other idols. You're not to, what are you doing? What are, you, what are you introducing now that I did not give approval of? You see, God is a jealous God. And He will not have your idols. He will not have your religious works and your boastings be put above Him. And you better be able to share this with others. Because there's a lot of religions out there that claim Jesus... <laughs> And they're sending people to hell. Well, no, they love Jesus. Look, they're charismatic. They love Jesus. And they're loving the wrong Jesus. And you better love them enough to share truth with them. Did you hear the question? Alright. So if Jesus is the Savior, and I understand your definition, someone may, may say to you, And so their next question is, well, do those who look for their salvation in saints and themselves or elsewhere really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? And the question is, I mean, the answer is no. Although they boast of his being, 
I'm uh, oh, sorry. Although they boast of being his, by their actions, they deny the only Savior. Jesus, either Jesus is not a perfect Savior, or those who, in, I'm sorry, or those who in true faith accept this Savior have in him all they need for their salvation. See, if Jesus is all you need, you're not going to introduce the saints. You're not going to introduce the idols. You're not going to introduce the religious works that then you can boast of. Is look, I kept this, I kept that, I kept this, I kept that. And look, I'm saved. When you do that, the Bible tells us, you'll see the scriptures, but it's scriptures I've shared with you before. Paul tells the church, listen, if you add anything to this, you're going to be cursed. You're not to add anything else. You can't, if, 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 if it was just the law that was needed to make you right with God, then there's no need for Jesus. You see, this is the message which we share. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not about anything else. And so when you have these systems that now have slapped themselves as, you know, we're the church, we're the institutional church, we know what's right, and then they lead so many people astray by worshiping things they ought not to be worshiping, by going to things they ought not to be going to in hopes to receive from God. They're basically saying, no matter how much they say they love Jesus, by them doing that, they declare Jesus wasn't enough. And they're an error. And they're not saved. That's the reality. That's the reality. That makes people angry. That makes people frustrated. That, that makes people like really like, what? And then they try to justify everything. But you better look at Scripture, which you'll get all these Scriptures. You better see what Scripture says and not try to twist it and work it to what makes you feel better about your family, about your friends, about your co-workers. No, the reality is either He's God, He's enough, or He's not. Did what He accomplished on the cross and through His resurrection, is that not enough? Why are you trusting in all these other things? Why are you trusting in yourself to keep all these other things? Why have you made it about you or other idols? Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And once you trade that truth with a lie, you'll no longer worshiping the true Jesus, the true God. You see, don't forget, we are at war. We are at war. And it doesn't matter. You can say, but they're good people. Well, there's a lot of good people who are going to end up in hell. There's a lot of good people. A lot of good moral people. You know, I shared the story with you before of years ago. There was this artist that I loved so much. She just, in my old life, she impacted my life. She was, her name is Annie Lennox. She was the lead singer of the Arithmics. And I just just worshipped her. And I loved her before I came to Christ. Like I just thought she was all in all and just her persona of everything and her beliefs. And she was just as lost and is still lost to this day. 
But after becoming a Christian, I've shared this with you before, I saw her, I had heard that she left the industry. And I heard that she gave everything away to go into this village in Africa to tend to these orphans who have been left by the, 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 the AIDS that, that just killed their parents and by war and just by the depths of poverty. And she has gone over there and she is loving and she is serving. And these videos that they were showing of her, I was so moved. But if you've heard this testimony before, after I watched that, I sat there and I thought, but if she dies, she's going to go to hell. And then I got angry at God. I mean, so much angry, I thought, I don't think I even want to. And I, think I, and I said that to God, I don't think I want to worship you anymore. Because here's that question. How can a loving God do that? You see, I started hearing the lies of the enemy whispering. All of a sudden, it's God's fault. Like God's the problem. And then an instant, I mean, the Holy Spirit gripped me quickly. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. God, you are faithful. You are just. You are righteous. You are holy. You're not the one with the problem. You're not at war with us. We're at war with you. She's at war with you. So I just began to pray for her. And I've been praying for her. And she still comes to my heart and my mind to pray for her. You know? Because all of her good works, everything that she's doing, she is still at war with her Creator. She refuses to believe upon Jesus as the Son of God. She refuses to. She has all these other idols and things that are influencing her. And I say, God, I know you look upon her, and God, you have done and will continue to do all that there is to do to reveal yourself to her. Oh, how I pray that she would respond. So it is with our loved ones who are enslaved and, and, and indoctrinated into um, lies. We need to pray for them. And we need to be honest with them. We need to love them enough to share the truth with them. Because again, a lie, no matter how hard you believe it, will ever be true. It's always a lie. Go to First Kings Chapter 5. 1 Kings chapter... Carrie, is that clock right? First Kings chapter 5 through chapter 6. We have opened up this book. King Solomon has taken the throne. And I want us to remember as we're studying through this book that these are actual events. This isn't just a good little story to tell. No, these are true events that have taken place. And they're events that God has orchestrated. And one thing I want us to remember about King Solomon, though yet he is a mighty king, he's full of wisdom. We understand that he's going to impact the nation of Israel, and not just Israel, but these other nations. I mean, remember, we read all these other people are coming from these other nations to hear the wisdom that God gave Solomon. So if we understand he's a mighty king. And God has a plan for Solomon. Even though Solomon is not faithful to God, 
And so, as we saw with David, as we'll see with Solomon and the rest of the kings, leading up to the ultimate king, who is, is faithful to God, Jesus, that God has planned and purpose. what God has planned and purpose will come about no matter how big and how much we continue to fail. God's plans will come about. Man is not going to thwart God's plans. But one thing about Solomon, and as we've learned, when Scripture says that he loved God, don't be moved like, oh, isn't that beautiful here? How great that is. Because that same love is the same love that the Bible uses when it tells us that he loves his foreign women. And so it's a love that is just a temporal love. It's not a covenant loyalty. He's not in love where he's loving the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his body, and with all of his strength. He loves God when basically it's convenient for him. And as we're studying him, we're going to see him throughout his life. He's already opening up doors that he ought not to be opening. But again, God has a purpose and a plan for this period of time in Israel. And that is for the temple to be constructed. It's important. And when you're listening to these scriptures today, I want you to understand how important it is that every detail of this temple has been laid out for all understanding. Because what God begins, God completes. And what God begins and the process in it, it's perfect. It's perfect. He's not, he, he's not a God that calls us to something and then it's just wasteful. It just crumbles. It is of no value. No, no. Ultimately, this temple will be pointing ultimately to the ultimate temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. And so as you're hearing about this physical temple, I want you to think about your spiritual life and the foundation in which it's being built upon. Is it being built upon the rock? Is it being built upon that which is firm foundation? Or is it being built upon the sand that Jesus talks about? That when the storm comes, it just all crumbles. You see, when He begins a work in you, He is faithful to complete it. That's why I love when the book of Psalms tells us that we are the work of His hands. That He will not neglect us. And so that's what I'm encouraging you when you know your God. When you, when you can understand all that He has purposed. Leading up to Jesus. Leading up to the church age. Leading up to the Holy Spirit's coming. Leading up to the return of Christ and to all eternity with God. All of this is purpose to get us to where we're going. So it says here, King Hiram of Tyre had always been a loyal friend of David. When Hiram learned that David's son Solomon was the new king of Israel, he sent ambassadors to congratulate him. Then Solomon sent this message back to Hiram. You know that my father David was not able to build a temple to honor the Lord of the name of the Lord his God because of many wars waged against him by surrounding nations. 
He could not build until the Lord gave him victory over all of his enemies. But now the Lord my God has given me peace on every side. I have no enemies and all is well. So I'm planning to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, just as he had instructed my father, David. For the Lord told him, Your son, whom I will place on your throne. This is God's word. All of this is not dictated by man. This is all dictated by God. Your son, whom I will place on your throne, will build the temple to honor my name. That's the whole purpose of the temple. To honor his name. Therefore, please command, I'm sorry, yeah, therefore, please command that cedars from Lebanon be cut for me. Let my men work alongside yours, and I will pay your men whatever wages you ask. As you know, there is no one among us who can cut timber like you Sidonians. When Hiram received Solomon's message, he was very pleased and said, Praise the Lord today for giving David a wise son to be king of the great nation of Israel. Then he sent his reply to Solomon. I received your message, and I will supply all the cedars and cypress timber you'll need. My servants will bring the logs from the Lebanon mountains to the Mediterranean Sea and make them into rafts and float them along the coast to whatever place you choose. Then we will break the rafts apart so you can carry the logs away. You can pay me by supplying me with food for my household. So Hiram supplied as much cedar and cypress timber as Solomon desired. In return, Solomon sent him an annual payment of 100,000 bushels of wheat for his household and 110,000 gallons of pure olive oil. So the Lord gave wisdom to Solomon just as he had promised, and Hiram and Solomon made a formal alliance of peace. Then King Solomon constricted a labor force of 30,000 men from all Israel. He sent them to Lebanon in ships, 10,000 every month, so that each man could be one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoram was in charge of this labor force. Solomon also had 70,000 common laborers, 80,000 query workers in the hill country, and 3,600 foremen to supervise the work. At the king's command, they queried large blocks of high-quality stone and shaped them to make, listen to this, the foundation of the temple. Men from the city of Gebel helped Solomon and Hiram's builders prepare the timber and stone for the temple. Even the foundation of the temple was not neglected. And I love the fact, and we'll see this all throughout Scripture, that these ungodly kings, these ungodly rulers of these other nations, they will declare, they will testify of the Lord, but they won't follow them. He won't follow them, or they won't follow them. They, they remember when, when the Bible describes that, that the other nations at times did not actually fear the Israelites but they feared the God of the Israelites. And yet they still wouldn't turn to Him. And so we understand this, and it's pretty interesting that King Hiram recognizes that God, this Lord of David, this God of David, the God of Israel, has given them this King Solomon, David's son, who is full of wisdom. And it will be good to work alongside him to accomplish 
what God, His Lord, His God, is requiring of Him. So again, I just want to encourage us. You can be friends with unbelievers. You know? The Bible, again, doesn't tell us to stay away from unbelievers. The Bible tells us to stay away from those who call themselves believers and yet live a life that shows no power in them of God's transforming power. I mean, that's what the Bible tells us. So it's not about that we can't associate and we can't do business with unbelievers. No. You have to remain in this world, but you're not of the world. And you can share your faith, and and they can even respect your faith, as you can respect their faith. Because again, you're not out there beating people down, thinking you're better than people, because you're remaining humble. You want to be able to serve them. You want to think of others better than yourself. And the church has been doing it wrong for quite some time. We point our crooked fingers at people, you know, we demand of them to act right, to act as if they belong to God and they don't belong to God. And that's why I've always said what we've done wrong with our evangelism is we go out telling them about the Christian life. This is how you're supposed to live. Do this, do that, do this, do that. And we tell them without explaining or sharing with them what they really need to know first. Who Jesus is and why He came. And a lot of times we're out there trying to sell the blessings of the kingdom without first giving them the king. Our mission is to go forth and to proclaim the gospel. And then once they receive it, baptize them and then teach them to obey all of His commands. That's what we're called to. So I'm excited when I began to study this and to read this and to see how King, the King Hiram and King Solomon Joint, they had that they were in agreement in this joint venture to see the temple of the Lord built. And what's the purpose of the temple? To honor the name of God. So as you think about that temple, if you're a Christian, you're the temple of God. And the whole purpose of your life is to honor the name of God. He goes on here, chapter 6. It was in mid-spring in the month of Zig, or Zib, during the fourth year of Solomon's reign that he began to construct the temple of the Lord. This was 480 years. Oh God, don't miss out on this scripture. This was 480 years after the people of Israel were rescued from their slavery in the land of Egypt. What God has purposed, God will bring about. The temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high. The entry room at the front of the temple was 30 feet wide, running across the entire width of the temple. It projected, it, it projected outward 15 feet from the front of the temple. Solomon also made narrow recessed windows throughout the temple. He built a complex of rooms, a complex of rooms against the outer walls of the temple, all the way around the sides and rear of the building. The complex was three stories high. The bottom floor being seven and a half feet wide, the second floor nine feet wide, and the top floor ten and a half feet wide. The rooms were connected to the walls of the temple by beams resting on ledges built out from the wall, so the beams were not inserted into the walls themselves. 
The stones used in the construction of the temple were finished at the quarry, so there is no sound of hammer, axe, or any other iron tool in, at the building site. The entrance of the bottom floor was on the south side of the temple. There were winding stairs going around to the second floor and another flight of stairs between the second and third floors. After completing the temple structure, Solomon put in a ceiling made of cedar beams and planks. As already stated, he built a complex of rooms along the sides of the building attached to the temple walls by cedar timbers. Each story of the complex was seven and a half feet high. Then the Lord gave this message to Solomon. Concerning this temple you are building, listen to this. If you keep all my decrees and regulations and obey all my commands, I made to your father David, I will live among the Israelites and will never abandon my people Israel. Again. God is laying out as he's done before and he's, as he continues to lay out before us. If we remain with him, he will be our God and we will be his people. He will take care of us. Even though we have to endure, he will see us through. He goes on. So Solomon finished building the temple. The entire inside from the floor to the ceiling was paneled with wood. He paneled the walls and ceilings with cedar and he used planks of cypress for the floors. He partitioned off an inner sanctuary, the most high holy place at the far end of the temple. It was 30 feet deep and was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling. The main room of the temple outside the most holy place was 60 feet long. Cedar paneling completely covered the stone walls throughout the temple and the paneling was decorated with carvings of gourds and open flowers. He prepared the inner sanctuary at the far end of the temple where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant would be placed. This inner sanctuary was 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 30 feet high. He overlaid the inside with solid gold. He also overlaid the altar made of cedar. Then Solomon overlaid the rest of the temple's interior with solid gold, and he made gold chains to protect the entrance to the most holy place. So he finished overlaying the entire temple with gold, including the altar that belonged to the most holy place. He made two cherubims and wild olive wood of wild olive wood, about 15 feet tall, and placed them in the inner sanctuary. The wingspan of each of the cherubim was 15 feet each wing being seven and a half feet long. The two cherubim were identical in shape and size. Each was 15 feet tall. He placed them side by side in the inner sanctuary of the temple. Their outspread rings reached from wall to wall while their inner wings touched at the center of the room. He overlaid the two cherubims with gold. He decorated all the walls of the inner sanctuary and the main room with carvings of cherubim palm trees, and open flowers. He overlaid the floor in both rooms with gold. For the entrance in the inner sanctuary, he made double doors of wild olive wood with five-shaped doorposts. These double doors were decorated with carvings of cherubims, palm trees, and open flowers. The doors, including the decorations of the cherubim and palm trees, were overlaid with gold. Then he made four-sided doorposts of wild olive wood for the entrance of the temple. 
There was two folding doors of cypress wood, and each door was hinged to fold back upon itself. These doors were decorated with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, all overlaid evenly with gold. The walls of the inner courtyard were built so that there was one layer of cedar beams between every three layers of finished stone. The foundation of the Lord's temple was laid in mid-spring in the month of Zeb, during the fourth year of Solomon's reign. The entire building was completed in every detail by mid-autumn in the month of Ul, during the eleventh year of his reign. So it took seven years to build the temple. This temple that God designed and purposed to honor His name. Go to Acts chapter 7, verse 1 through 29. We left off two weeks ago talking about Stephen. Acts chapter 7, verse 1 through 29. Stephen has been arrested. Remember, they lied about him. You know, he was just a food service worker. But he was a man of God. He loved God and his character was known as one who has been with God. And so it all came about because the apostles were trying to do everything. And then there were some complaints that were taking place that others thought others were being served better than they were. And so remember, they were like, listen, we've got to be about evangelizing. We've got to be about preaching the gospel. So they were instructed to go ahead and, and to set these men apart, Stephen being one of them, to kind of hand, to handle the food distribution. But Stephen, again, who loved God, who lived for God, who shared about God, he's been arrested now. Now he's going to address the religious council. <laughs> Chapter 7, and we're only going to read through verse 29. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these accusations true? Remember, they brought in these men to lie. This was Stephen's reply. Oh, please don't miss this. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before <coughs> he settled in Hiram. God told him, Leave your native land, your relatives, and come into the land that I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Hiram until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live. But God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants, even though he had no children yet. God also told him that his descendants would be like a foreign, like would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for four hundred years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, God said. And in the end, they will come out and worship me here in this place. God also gave Abraham the covenant of our circumcision at that time. So when Abraham became the father of Isaac, he circumcised him on the eighth day. And the practice was continued when Isaac became the father of Jacob. 
and when Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs of the Israelite nation. These patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him as a slave in Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all of his troubles. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom, so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. But a famine came upon Egypt and Canaan. There was great misery, and our ancestors ran out of food. Jacob heard that there was still grain in Egypt, so he sent his sons, our ancestors, to buy some. The second time they went, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, and they were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent for his father Jacob and all of his relatives to come to Egypt. Seventy-five persons in all. So Jacob went to Egypt. He died there, as did our ancestors. Their bodies were taken to Shechem and buried in the tomb Abraham had bought for a certain price from Hamor, son of Shechem. As the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise. Oh God, hear that. As the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise. Remember, God is faithful to what God has spoken. So as the time was near when God would fulfill His promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. But then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. This king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die. At that time, Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. One day, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed he would follow Israel. I'm sorry. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. This is to the point that Stephen is driving home. The next day he visited them again and he saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the men in the I'm sorry, but the men in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us? he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. And we'll pick up with the rest of his speech next week. But listen to what Stephen is doing here. He's laying out, he's responding to this council. And he's laying out not his case, but the case of Christ. He's revealing to them from the beginning we've been against Him. From the beginning, God has intervened and we have rejected Him. Oh, people of God, 
If you cannot testify of Jesus, would you learn of him? So that you can be able to articulate and share. Listen, these men that Stephen is speaking to, they know all this. They're well-scholared. They think they're the in crowd. They think highly of themselves. They look down on everyone. They're keeping people away from God, yet though they're, quote-unquote, the representatives of God. And God, by the Holy Spirit, is giving them yet again another opportunity to see the errors in their way through His humble servant, Stephen. Go to Psalm 127. Psalms 127. Kind of sums up what we've been hearing today, starting with verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to young men are like arrows in a warrior's hands, warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. So listen to this psalm. The, the hope that is found in God. If God's not in it, it's useless. People will tarry. People will do and do and exhaust themselves. But God is saying in all your strength, in all your doing, in all your labor, it is useless if I'm not in it. So we have to be, we have to be in check with the Holy Spirit on how we're living our lives and how we're utilizing our time and, and, and being good stewards of all that He's entrusted to us. We have to understand that our children are our gifts from God and that as they are being raised up in the fear and, and, and understanding of who God is, that ultimately, in return, they take care because we're all getting old. And these men knew that they would not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates because he knows he has a bunch of sons. And so there's comforting that parents can have in their children. And I know in our day and age that our, children's, our children are running them up. But oh, how I pray we're praying for them. Oh, how I pray that we would see them restored and fulfill what God has called them to as we are fulfilling what God has called us to. Because again, it's all for who? God. His plan. His purpose. And how we see the family under attack now. How we see in this day and age <coughs> Christian values and the desire for, for raising our families and, and instructing our families are, are mocked. 
You know, as we see that, you know, we do our best to raise our children and we can trust the Word of God, that, that if, they, if they will depart, that they would return because it's been planted in them. And we can trust that and we can pray for that and we can say, God, would you just honor that? You know, because there, there's a lot of Christian families who have raised, who have instructed their children, and their children are lost out there. But we as Christians can, by faith, continue to pray, continue to believe. There's no need to fight them. We just need to live our lives out before them. Honoring God. Trusting in God. And so, again, that whole psalm, when I think upon it, and as I've been meditating upon it, it just really just brings back to to my mind and to my heart that God has to be the purpose for it all. And if God isn't the purpose then we're laboring, we're doing for nothing. For nothing. Because it's not honoring God. Go to Proverbs. Ending in Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16, verse 28-30. through A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Violent people mislead their companions, leading them down a harmful path. With narrow eyes, people plot evil. With a smirk, they plan their mischief. Oh, we better hear the wisdom that's there in the company that we're keeping. And may this not be said about us, especially if we're calling ourselves Christians. We ought, we ought not to be troublemakers. We ought not to be planting seeds of strife. We ought not to be gossiping. We ought not to be violent. We ought not to be leading people down harmful paths. We ought not to have um, desires to plot evil. We ought not to be up to mischief. Because we're about, to, we're about our Father's business. This is how the created live. This is what we're being warned of. Be mindful of the company you keep. Be mindful how you're stewarding your time. Because ultimately, you're the temple of God. And your life is to be honoring His name. Here, would you play our last song for us? And then I'll close this in prayer. Oh, let's see. There you go.
never stop singing. 